Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. Hour two, Heatwave Sports here on a Super Sunday night. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, Damon Cotton with you for the next hour as we move into the new quote-unquote work week and a big sports week with the NBA draft happening on Thursday night. Kind of went through the first four picks. Look at the rest of the top ten. Orlando, Chris, would be on the clock at number five, so they have two of the top eight picks. Who do you have destined to be wearing the Orlando Magic jersey? Well, so this is an Orlando team, obviously, that is in full rebuild mode, okay? This is not one of those teams that we expect to be serious Eastern Conference contenders probably for the next two, three years. So what's that mean? Well, you can take a shot on guys, right? You can you can, you can take a shot on a guy who might not be up to, you know, might not be up to snuff probably for a couple more years, and that's Jonathan Kaminga, okay? We're talking about somebody that has elite defensive potential, Tim. And he'll and and I think he'll end up figuring out his long range shot. He's gonna be one of those good three and D wing with size kind of guys, you know, who can pretty much guard just about anyone. And there's been comparisons, Tim. There's been comparisons of Kaminga to the likes of Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Um, but th- what's hilarious is that you talk to like you talk to like eight out of 10 NBA guys and girls. And they say, well, he's He has, he could end up being like Kawhi Leonard, but then you talk to the other two and they say, you know what? For some reason with Kaminga, he looks bust esque. He looks like he'd be one of those bust guys. So uh, to me, I, I think he's a perfect Orlando magic pick because Orlando's, you know, had a storied history of guys who they picked there and would, you know, at that size at that position that didn't pan out, okay? Yes, they landed it when they picked Shaquille O'Neal, you know, or when they, they I should say, picked Chris Weber and then traded for Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, or, no, excuse me, they, they picked uh, Chris Weber and traded for uh, Penny Hardaway in that draft. So they landed with Shaq. They landed it with, with some a couple of other players, obviously. Um, and I think they have a really good chance to land with this kid, too. I think he's, you know, when it comes to defense – I think he can figure his offense out. I think this is the direction that the Orlando Magic is going to go with this pick at number five. Our buddy Jose Volonte chiming in. <clears throat> he likes Scotty Barnes to the Magic. I think that's that's the case, too. If, if Barnes is there, Chris, you're okay with that as well? Oh, no question. No question. But I, yes, because but because of my draft, my mock draft, obviously I had Scotty going before him. So uh, Also, a quick side note, too, here, because I've looked at a couple other mock drafts over this week, Tim and Jose. And Bleacher Report has the Magic trading up to number three and trading up to number three and taking Jalen Suggs. So okay. uh, this 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 could be absolutely a position here, Tim and Jose, where the you know one of the first big moves gets made and where, where the Magic try to move up and try to get somebody maybe even more impactful, i.e., the likes of of Sugg. So, if the, if the Magic were able to do that, obviously it'd be a win win for them. But uh, I just wanted to throw that in there because that uh, is something that could very well be a possibility come the draft on Thursday. Number six, Oklahoma City, and this is a team. <clears throat> you you say they're they're rebuild, right? Just when you look at the roster, it's a rebuild roster. But they shed the big contract to Horford to Boston. You get Kemba Walker back play that point but I know they're they're looking at the future obviously and they love James Boonite out of UConn that that seems to be the uh the secret that's not being kept secret is that if he's there at six that's the guy they like and, and I know a lot of it could be posture and and and, and kind of just throwing out uh rumor but that seems to be the the fit that Boonite would be the guy to go at OKC yeah that makes sense to me um, given his skill set, given you know what position they are in the Western Conference, we're talking about a team obviously in the Oklahoma City Thunder who were just a blip on the radar last year. We 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 weren't Tim. It was hilarious. We weren't even paying attention to this Oklahoma City Thunder team last year. So I mean they they're in a 
scenario where it's basically we just need to build this team back up, right? We need to get this team back to where, uh, you know, the expectations are we can win basketball games and we're actually still relevant again. And so I think that would be absolutely a great direction for them to go. And uh, but it's not going to be next year. Right. You're not going to expect Book Knight to be somebody that's going to be coming next year and just make an immediate impact. Could he? I guess possibly he could. But I think that this is a team and a franchise that is looking to build for the future. And I think that would be one really good piece that they could add to, to, to build that future. So number seven, this is the this is an intriguing pick as well. Golden State drafts at seven. We know the injury issues to, to Clay Thompson in the last two years. We know uh, Curry banged up as well, but also entering his free agent year at 33. Andrew Wiggins, they got in a deal. Loved he had a, he had a I thought he played one of his best NBA seasons last year with the Warriors. Green still there. They picked Wiseman last year in the draft, and they sit at seven. Chris and, and when we we've talked about these trades. Something tells me that possibly could something be stirring with the Golden State Warriors at number seven, or do they just keep getting younger? I mean, it's it's an interesting situation to be in. I think Curry and his status after next year is is going to be huge. You know, whether he stays in, in Golden State or not, but he produced a winning team, right, Chris? It makes it a lot easier for him to stay in the only place he's ever played. No doubt, and. I, wow, it just, it just seems to me it'd be hard-pressed for me to believe that Steph Curry would not be a Golden State Warrior, at least in the in the near future. I, I that, That'd be shocking. But at the same time, I also think that with this draft pick here, and uh, look, I don't want to get to dive too deep into you know possible trades or what could happen because obviously that messes up our uh, our viewpoints regarding uh, you know analysis of these prospects. But if if the if the Warriors were to draft in this spot, I mean, I think Mitchell's going to be the guy. I think Mitchell out of uh, Baylor is going to end up being the guy. I get it. He's a point guard, okay? Obviously, Steph Curry is the point guard there. But as you pointed out, it never hurts to have depth, right? It never hurts to have quote-unquote insurance policies. You're talking about, you know, a Naismith and Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year in Mitchell. You know, he's arguably the best on-ball defender in the NBA in the NBA draft. We're talking about a kid that's got lightning quack feet, or lightning quick feet, I should say. Unbelievable anticipation, and uh, he'll be a. I think he's going to be a stud defender from day one in the NBA. I, I think he really is, and uh, you know he's also got very few weaknesses. By the way, in the offensive end of the floor as well, too, because he's got you know that unbelievable burst. His open court speed and quickness is unreal. He can you know whether it's ball screen, whether it's other ways, he can beat his defender, and he's got a two point two three assist to turnover ratio, which is also top-notch across the board. So I think, look, the Warriors, you know, and taking into account what you said about Steph Curry and about, you know, possibilities if, if they were to move on from him, I, which, again, I just I can't even believe I'm saying that. But if that was even – but but uh, but Davion Mitchell is, is someone I think that uh, that they would be uh, happy with. We're talking about a guy who uh, at major public – whether it's ESPN, whether it's Bleacher Report, whether it's – CBS Sports Network, whether uh, they talk about him as a franchise point guard. Okay. He has the potential to be a franchise point guard. Okay. We all know that's potential. That doesn't mean he's going to be, but still, I think the Warriors would be very happy if this was the kid that they took at number seven. And if we want to talk about trades, I mentioned it the Brad Beal situation, right? You want to plan a little bit ahead. A lot of things Golden State could do here. It's one, definitely one of the more intriguing talking points of, of what's coming up in, in the NBA draft on Thursday. At number eight would be your magic again. Chris, who do you have Orlando taking with their second pick in the first 10? I think they go shooting guard. I do. I think they I think they go with the kid out of uh, Tennessee. I think they go Keon Johnson. Um, Johnson, it doesn't matter who you're talking about in college basketball. This is one of the best athletes in, in the game today at the college level. Uh, first step is unreal. In the open court, we're talking about that. You want to talk about a guy that's going to be fun to watch, I think, in the NBA from an offensive standpoint. You want to talk about a guy that's going to be probably in the dunk contest a lot. You want to talk about a guy that, uh, you know, uh, his frame is going to end up filling out in time, who's aggressive, who's competitive, who 
basically maximizes every tool that he has on both ends of the floor. And, uh, oh, by the way, possesses tons of versatility on the defensive end. It's key on Johnson. So I think that uh, I think the Magic go this direction. I think that, you know, you you add another guard that uh, I think is an upgrade to uh, they obviously they lost Evan Fournier. So they don't you know, they don't have that small forward slash. Shooting. I mean, Evan Fournier was a small forward, I guess. But, you know, to me, he was a shooting guard in Orlando. But uh, I think it's it'd be a solid pick if they were able to get Johnson, the 6'5", 186 pound kid from the Volunteers of Tennessee. Number nine would be Sacramento. We've already talked about the proposed trade rumors with uh, Buddy Heald and Kyle Kuzma switching places, which makes sense if you look at Sacramento's buildup, right? Uh, De'Aaron Fox coming into his own now. Uh, you have Ty Halliburton, the pick just a couple years ago, also in that backcourt. Bagley in a, in a contract year to dump that $11 million salary. Uh, veterans in Harrison Barnes, so you bring Kuzma in to, to beef up the team. And let's not forget, though, all indications are that the Sacramento front office has been heavily on the phones talking about trades and, and possibly won't be picking at number nine. But when you look at them and what they could bring to the table, I, I think if, if the, the deal with Heald goes through, it changes in my aspect of where they're going at it. But I know uh, Wagner out of Michigan was being looked at at this spot. But I think they got to go big. If, if you make the deal for Kuzma, I think you continue to go big and bring in another uh, big body at that pick. Yeah, and they have projected Wagner at, at 6'9", 220 as a small forward in the NBA, right? So you would absolutely – look, you, you want to talk about outstanding positional size for a wing at 6'9". This kid is absolutely that spot. So I, I think this is the direction they do go. Look, he's very young, you know, despite his youth, though. this is You're talking about one of the more experienced players in the draft. He played 59 games professionally in Europe. Uh, you know, as well as being the best player on a number one seeded NCAA tournament team last year at Michigan. So uh, he is unreal uh, as far as his impact defensively on or off the ball. He's big enough to guard most power forwards in the NBA, which is saying a lot considering the kid's just about to go into the league. And, you know, he, he's, look, he's an intense guy. Uh, he's got a ton of technique across the board. Uh, he's always been lauded for his smarts when it comes to team settings and, and, and uh, being able to pick his spots. Uh, he's also a tremendous defender when it comes to passing lanes and a rim protector. And so he was a big reason. He was one of the big reasons why Michigan was one of the, you know, I think they were like top five in defensive efficiency across the board. So I think this would be a solid pickup for Sacramento if they were going to go this direction. But I also thought they, think they could throw a curveball in this too, Tim, and, uh, and all the listeners out there. This could be where Moses Moody goes. They could go Moses Moody here because you talked about the Buddy Heald situation. And if he goes, and if they do end up making a deal where he gets shipped out of town, Moses Moody could be the guy. Okay, you're talking about like a six-six prototypical two guard who can flat out uh, light it up. Right? I mean, we're talking about shooting from three, and you know, is his scoring efficiency with guys that have over 400 possessions is pretty much ridiculous uh in the half court the guy's unreal he's top 10 in the half court when it comes to scoring efficiency too so i think they'd be happy with either one of these guys but i think they are going to go wagner and that takes us to selection number 10 new orleans pelicans what do you surround zion williamson with when you look at the roster makeup you're dropping ball heart the guys they got in the laker deal they're they're up in free agency could they come back sure but you know it's a tough situation to be in for New Orleans, but you have another guy in that deal, Brandon Ingram, who was exercised out. He's $29 million. Eric Bledsoe, the veteran there. Steven Adams, a veteran, right, with Zion. So obviously they're building young guys around the core veterans that they have. Uh, Jackson Hayes, also youngster there who looked looked good last year. So what do you, what do, you do to, in, in, to uh, increase the value of Zion Williamson and uh, what can you do to get this team in the playoffs? I know that's that's going to be a sticking point. Well, I think those those are interesting questions, but I think they're two different questions regarding it because I don't know if you're if it talks if you talk about the 2021 NBA draft, right, and the Pelicans and Zion specifically, you're not going to you know get to the playoffs because of the guy you take in this draft. It's going to be through moves either you make or guys that you develop. And so I think they're going to go young. I think they're going to go young, and they're going to go out to Australia 
and they're going to they're go to this Josh Giddy kid. I do. I really think so. Now, look, he's listed as a two guard because the kid's 6'8", 185, but he's basically a point guard, okay? And, you know, he's they list him at 6'8", he's really 6'9", I guess. I guess the kid's still continuing to grow. Uh, apparently, he's grown three inches in the last three years. And he led the competitive Australian NBBL in assists at over 7.4 a game last year. I mean, he is a textbook pick-and-roll type of player who you could argue is probably the best player in the draft. And his, you know, they've talked about his vision, creativity, awareness, like the kids out of this world. Okay. He's unreal ball handler. Um, he still had Look, he has to work on his defensive skills. No question. And, but he shows great instincts when it comes to him on the boards. And when it comes to steals, the kids, you know, a, a ball hawk to say the least. So, yeah, he was top five, by the way, in the NBDL and rebounding, despite uh, his lack of strength. You know, we're talking about somebody that's 6'8", 185, not exactly, uh, you know, Zion-esque. But still, I think this is uh, this would be a direction that would be well-suited for this Pelicans team. And But I don't, but I don't think, Tim, it would be any scenario where they'd say, oh, yeah, this is a kid that's going to, you know, in, in the next year or maybe even two years is going to be a key piece to them going deep into the playoffs, but I think it would still be a good pick for them. NBA draft Thursday night, TNT. We'll see the next NBA superstars join their new teams. Kate Cunningham looks like these pretty much the solid number one pick to Detroit uh, at pick number one. When we come back from the timeout, a couple of NFL news and notes that pop through the uh, the old wire today, and then we'll move into Major League Baseball as the trade deadline now five days away. We had a deal today. We'll look at that one and the big names available on Friday at the MLB trade deadline. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, HeWeb Sports back after this. Sports with Tim Onglesby and Tom Barton. Tim Onglesby, Chris Wynn tonight on Heat Wave Sports. And uh, Olympic update, Chris, if you're tuned into 220, got that beach volleyball going on right now. Team USA on the men's side, Jake Gibb, Triborn against the Italian team. So I know you're checking that out, being a fan of the old, the old beach scene there. There's a spanking going on, Mr. Onglesby. It is 8-2 right now. In games, I don't know exactly how the scoring goes here. I'm not going to defer to you as to how they play this out, but uh doesn't look too great right now for the Italian gentlemen out there. No, definitely not. And uh, <laughs> team put together, if you follow it, Gibbs' partner shows up to um, Tokyo and test positive for COVID, so they had to fly and try Bourne. So a team not used to playing with each other, looking good so far in this uh, game. They played a 21, got to win by two. So, nice lead in set one for Team USA. Let's look at the NFL news and notes. There's a couple that popped on the wire today. Chris, I want to get your thoughts on. So, training camp opens up Tuesday for all NFL teams. The Cowboys and the Steelers already in camp. But the Cardinals may have a potential issue here with Chandler Jones, the all-pro pass rusher, as he's not happy with his money. seems to be a current thing or common thing. Not happy with his contract. He wants to be traded. Um you, you know, standard, standard things we see in the NFL. But a team with Jones and J.J. Watt together could be interesting if, if uh, they get this situation with Chandler Jones wrapped up. Oh, there's no doubt about that, right? In a competitive division, probably the most competitive division in all of football, obviously, with the NFC West. But uh, when you think about Chandler Jones, you're talking about someone who just entered his 30s, right? He's basically in his prime, and he plans to have a huge year coming off that uh, surgery on his right bicep. And it's kind of a strange situation, right, Tim? Because you're getting different responses from both sides here. You get the viewpoint from the Cardinals that, well, it, it seemed to us that Chandler's going to be very happy with an opportunity to play alongside our new acquisition, J.J. Watt, you know, despite past unhappiness was the actual wording that went down. And, uh, you know, look, a source said that, Jones is viewed as one of the one of the great guys in the organization, one of the leaders, 
and you know is absolutely set up to be a, you know a pivotal part of this Cardinals defense this year. And the team takes a perspective where they don't you know generally publicly discuss contract details regarding its players. And this is you know other than in the off season. Now you talked about he's unhappy with his contract. And that's a result. Look, that's because he's missed a lot of offseason work as a result of that. So, you know, from the viewpoint of Chandler Jones himself, this doesn't seem to be a good situation whatsoever. But the team and the organization, Tim, are taking a very positive outlook on this. It's kind of it is very strange. I have to tell you how, how this is all kind of being looked at. Right. And how it's all kind of shaken out. Interesting, too. I, I understand he thinks he's worth more money. And uh, look, his contract's a contract, right, Chris? And he becomes a free agent after this season. So why not play it out and um, see what you can do? Because when you look at the Cardinals, I like the way they're being built up. And I think that they may surprise. Uh, it's not even a surprise. And, you know, I think they'll be there this year battling it out for the, the uh, top of that division. When you look at a kid like Kyler Murray leading the way and a defense that was that was um, definitely addressed in the offseason. So... I don't. I, I know. I know the the stand he's taking here. I just think that they should get it done and, and play it out because if he if he doesn't want to be there, he's going to leave next year anyways. I get that too. And and look, it, I understand it more. I guess his position in this way, if it was maybe he was two years older, right? If he was a couple years older and you were getting more towards the backside of your career, but you're at 31 years old, right? You just turned 31. You are in the midst of your prime. You still have, you know, you're you're still going to be expected to be one of the best defensive players in football, and so I think you still you have a little bit of leeway. You have a little bit of time where you you don't need to take this necessary position. So I'm interested in like who's got into his ear. You know, what, what has changed? You know, since you signed your contract in the last you know last few years or whatever, and then how and and then who got in your ear? You know, and and saying look, you deserve more money. Or is this just just your personal decision where you're just going to flip the script and, you know, all of a sudden become an issue? You know what I mean? And what I mean by become an issue is where, you know, you're essentially, you know, you know, causing a rift here that doesn't need to be a rift. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I Look, I I would tend to lean towards the direction that he's probably going to come back and play. But but uh, we'll, we'll see exactly how it shakes out. Let's hop a couple states over and move into Texas where Deshaun Watson's had, um, I could say, quite the offseason, right, Chris? And I know we've talked about it on this show with yourself as well mm-hmm. about his issues in Houston and off the field. But because of the new bargaining agreement, teams cannot forgive fines when it comes to missing camp. Therefore, with camp starting Tuesday, Deshaun Watson reported today to avoid a $50,000 fine for not showing up on time. He still wants to be moved, right? He has already made it clear he doesn't want to be in Houston. And if you're looking at it just from a, from the point of view of a professional football player, I understand that aspect is Houston is just bad. But he's got more to worry about than obviously football as 23 potential lawsuits sitting on a table right now. So the guy's clearly... Um, you'd have to say his mind is not 100% on football with all that looming over his head. So he's in camp. We'll see what happens here with, with his contract status and if he's moved or not. When you look at the Texans, not exactly the uh, well-equipped to lose Deshaun Watson, but I don't think, Chris, that they're contending for any Super Bowl titles this year anyways. And it's never a great thing, is it, Tim, when you're talking about you know going into training camp with descriptions like amid a trade request and dealing with assault allegations. It's just a, it's just a really bad situation and it's not good all around. It's not good for Deshaun Watson. It's not good for the Houston Texans organization. It's not good for the NFL because you know, these, these are things these look, obviously when it comes to the allegations, you're talking about something that's off the field that, you know, is looming. It's a, it's a legal situation. And therefore, it has absolutely really nothing to do with the economics as far as his contract or his trade request. It just it's just a black eye, right, for Deshaun Watson, the person and the player, 
for the Houston Texans. I mean, it puts them in a bad spot regarding any leverage whatsoever, given, you know, if, if they did want to deal him. And again, like you mentioned, myself, you, Tommy, we've talked about this at length. It's been talked about on sports radio regarding, you know, will he stay or will he go Do the Texans move him? Or do they not? And Deshaun Watson has made it clear that he wants out, right? That he wants to be traded. And you talked about the $50,000 daily fine. I was a little bit, uh, a little bit surprised there because I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, that was under the previous uh, CBA agreement, teams were able to, to forgive fines, Tim. Was that a thing? Yeah. Because apparently yeah. under the new NFL's new collective bargaining agreement, teams can no longer do that. Were they doing that before? You know what I mean? Like, was, it, was that something that was happening before where teams were trying to, you know, wheel and deal through that? I believe so. I, I don't know if we were per se were, were bigger names, but yes, I, I think it was done. And, um, NFL said enough of that. We need to, to, to cut back on it. So, right. Hence, you have Watson in camp. And so, you know, look, he first actually traded, what, back in January after the Texans hired Nick Cesario as the uh, GM. So he's not going to – look, it, it, it's Deshaun Watson's not changing his mind, I don't think, regarding the Houston Texans, all right? He's not happy about, uh, you know, leadership and about, the you know, the general manager. He's he's just not happy in the, in the situation. So – uh, it, the Texans are just between a rock and a hard place. And oh, by the way, your star, your starting quarterback, who is for all intents and purposes their starter, it's not nobody's going to beat him out, right? If you, if you're the Texans, you're not going to have somebody that's better that's going to come out this season and beat him out. So you know, I, it's it's going to be intriguing to say the least to see how the Texans handle the situation and see and because Deshaun Watson again, I talked about Chandler Jones. I think Chandler Jones is going to show up. You know. Deshaun Watson's already opened the door. When you say you're going to report to avoid $50,000 fines, which, by the way, kind of harkens us back to uh, the likes of Marshawn Lynch, right? You don't want to get fined, so you you know, so you know, show up for media obligations. It's kind of the same thing, only in a bigger scale here with Deshaun Watson. I, I, don't, I don't see any type of scenario where Deshaun Watson reports to avoid the fines and then just doesn't stay and play, right? I mean, I just think he's going to stay and play. And then, uh, and you know, setting aside obviously the legal situation going on, whether or not the NFL takes takes action, if there are you know more things that come out of these allegations where he's he's in some type of criminal or civil you know uh, you know civil issue where the NFL and the Texans have to make some steps, I think he ends up playing, and I think that uh, it's it's kind of it doesn't get washed under the bridge, but I think it's just a situation that they just kind of play it out. And just and just keep moving along as they go. Chris, isn't this crazy that in ten days' time, eleven days' time, so on the fifth of August, we have a football game, the Hall of Fame game, Steelers Cowboys, and then on the twelfth, preseason week one starts. Uh, literally two, three weeks away from NFL football. How great is this, Tim? We are going. We are just basically, essentially, about a month away from. And I talked about this last week on the show with you. I said, look, it's going to be. So great, you know. Obviously, notwithstanding any crazy things that happened with COVID nineteen, I understand we were in the midst of a resurge, and there's been some issues, you know, across the country regarding infections and and regarding steps being taken, precautionary steps being taken by states and and uh, the country and cities and municipalities. But that being said, expect that we're going to have full stadiums. We're going to have a full slate. It is going to be great to see football back in just basically a matter of a month. Well, we'll we'll move over to Major League Baseball to close out the show tonight. Trade deadline Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Looking to see some big names move teams here today. San Diego Padres didn't wait. They picked up all-star second baseman Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates to add to that already uh, loaded offense, Chris. And this is a stretch run right now. So in that West, you have the Giants, who came through today. I, you know, after beating the Dodgers two straight nights, comeback wins, you bring in Pittsburgh, one of the the, uh, the worst teams in National League, let's put it that way, and you get beaten the first two games. They're able to, to salvage a game out of that series right there with the Dodgers and the Padres. Potentially all three teams could make the playoffs, Chris. There's no doubt about it, but the Padres loading up, bringing in Frazier. I like the deal. I think, you know, if you're a fan of the Padres – you got to know that this team's front office is not afraid 
to move some prospects out to bring in guys that to the, you know you want to win. These are the guys you got to bring in. So the Padres pick up Frazier batting three twenty seven right now. Nice pickup for San Diego. I liked it, and it gives them versatility also with Cronin's worth there and seeing what they could possibly do here the rest of the way out. The Friars, Tim, throwing the first, you know, firing the first salvo in uh, what's going to be a, a smorgasbord, I think, of deals here as we've rolled up through Friday. You're going to get a guy, you talked about the average, second best, by the way, in Major League Baseball. He's got he's got four dingers and 32 ribbies also. He's a gold glove finalist back in 2020, and he was an all-star this season. He leads baseball in hits. And, oh, and by the way, for the Padres, he's not a free agent until after next season. So this isn't a situation where you're immediately just renting a guy, you know, for a run this year. They're going to have a chance to, to have him next season as well, too. So I uh, love picking up the fact that you get a guy like Fraser who has tremendous versatility as well, too. And uh, look, the Pirates picked up some prospects. They picked up Miliano. They got Marcano as well as uh, I think the, the outfield, the two Swinsky, I think is the other guy they got. So they got some pieces in return, did the Pirates, but – and uh, but you got to say, right, Tim? It just kind of looks like another scenario where the Pittsburgh Pirates end up, uh, you know, giving up another good player that ends up going somewhere else. So they're almost like the Detroit Tigers of the National League when it comes to guys that have had Pittsburgh Pirate uniforms on that end up going somewhere else and tearing it up. And I think Frazier is going to be the next latest addition in guys who've done that. And don't don't count out San Diego. Don't think they're done. You know, AJ Preller, the GM there, has vocally said we need we need an arm, another arm, and you know that that could be the the uh, route come come Friday or right before Friday. I think Chris, the fun now is the big names that are available, whether they get moved or not, and let's kind of just look at them here. And and you got to start with the bigger the biggest bat I think available in Chris Bryant, the uh, third baseman of the Cubbies with Las Vegas ties, of course. Oh, no doubt. And you and Tommy had a chance to talk a little bit about this yesterday. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be, it's going to be so fun to kind of see what happens with Chris Bryant, because I think there's, there's, there's two or three options that could be very fun. And that could be very interesting to say the least when it comes to, uh, you know, where he goes and, and what could happen if he ends up with the Dodgers, if he ends up in San Francisco, if he ends up in Milwaukee with the Brewers, Right. I mean, it's just it's so much fun to kind of think about what would happen there. And the same thing, too, is true with Trevor Story in Colorado. I mean, Trevor Story is a guy that's going to be impactful. Right. And if he ends up on a team like the Mets or, you know, or ends up going to the White Sox or going somewhere where, you know, he could end up being someone that is, uh, you know, that is going to be, you know, hugely impactful, to say the least. It's going to be fun too to see kind of where he goes. So, uh those really the two guys that I'm kind of taking a look at. Obviously, there's other there's other names out there, and there's other teams that uh, are kind of teetering on the edge of either being uh, buyers or sellers that we that we don't really have uh, you know a, a firm hold on who those what those teams are yet. But uh, yeah, those are the two guys that I'm really looking at right now. So if I said Chris put put the GM hat on, and you're you're looking at a, where Chris Bryant is going to end up. Give me your your top options here. Top two teams. You think does he stay in the uh, National League? Does he move to the American League? And uh, is it is it a powerhouse team that would acquire a bat like Chris Bryant? I think it would be a powerhouse team. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be the Brewers. I'm telling you. I guess that's not really a powerhouse team, but I just think that that is a situation that could absolutely present itself. I think the the Brewers are a situation where. Uh, you know, they, they absolutely uh, need a bat, right? They need more offense there. They haven't got out of – Christian Yelich has – and Tommy talked about this yesterday, right? Christian Yelich has, hasn't been the Christian Yelich will be expected this year. So I think they need a they, – they could use a nice boost with a bat there in Milwaukee. I think it would be a good fit there. I also think the Giants would be interesting too. I mean, I just, I just think the Giants now it seem it – would, it would give you the perception, right, that they're adding another – uh, you know, a guy who's, you know, on the, on the wrongs on the other side of 30, right. That you're adding. But at the same time, I mean, it's just, I, I, I just think it would be, it would be interesting as all get up. If Chris Bryant ended up in San Francisco, and then you've got this whole situation going on right now with the giants, the Dodgers and the Padres all battling in that division 
you know, kind of uh, jockeying with each other, if you will, across the board. Um, but another team, and as much as I hate to say this, the Yankees might be in play for him, Tim. I'm telling you, the Yankees might be in play. We look at this squad, everybody says that, look, and I said this last week to you, I said I don't think that they're going to be a wildcard team. I don't think that they're going to be a team that, that uh, is going to contend in the American League East by any stretch. But they're still considered a buyer. I mean, you look, you listen to anybody from, you know, CBS Sports Network to you know a, a lot of these so-called experts. They still think the Yankees that will buy at the deadline, even though they're well short of expectations this season. And uh, you know, uh, look, I understand that they're they're definitely in the market for an outfielder. Okay, given how much little they receive from left and center field there, and another starting pitcher has also been talked about. We obviously talked about Max Scherzer possibly going to the Yankees as well too. But I just think that Brian Cashman is absolutely not beneath being in a situation where he would go after someone like a Chris Bryant. So that's also a possibility to me, too, that he could end up in pinstripes. The uh, the Las Vegas local could end up uh, playing in the Bronx for the Yankees. And let's, let's, be, let's be honest about it. If you're a Cubs fan, as much as you like Chris Bryant, he's as good as gone, right, Chris? You use that, that phrase, he's as good as gone. And the reason being is... Look, they went in the tank. I think they lost 15 out of 20 games or something. They're nine games out of the first, and you got to get something for him. You know, he's not. You're not re-signing him because basically, when you look at the Cubs, they've, they're going to go full rebuild here, and they, I think they should. You're not re-signing him. It's not this one-year situation, so you're going to want to get value on it. And the same goes for Javi Baez, and the same goes for Craig Kimbrell. Those guys are pretty much going to be playing somewhere else. I honestly believe that, and now the New York Mets have popped up on the radar as being interested. And why wouldn't they be? You talk about a team that needs offense. You know, I said this last night on the show, Chris, that they have the least amount of runs scored in that division. They're first place, but have the least amount of runs scored between the Phillies, Braves, Nats, and Marlins. They need offense seriously. And it wouldn't surprise me to see the Mets put it together and try to bring Bryant and Kimbrell in on a package deal. I mean, look, they have prospects to deal. And, and they're willing to take on that salary. So I know it's an, an abbreviated salary, but still, right, Chris, when you're looking at what it's going to cost you, the Mets aren't afraid to deal here either. As They're, they're holding on here. The Phillies and Braves are on their tail. Well, you could be more right, Tim, uh, going back to what you were saying about the Cubs. I mean, you're talking about losing 19 times in 25 games prior to the All-Star break. It just takes all the mystery out of, of what uh, this is a Cubs team that is going to do with the trade deadline. They are absolutely sellers. All right, they've already shipped out Jock Peterson. You've got you already talked. We've already talked about Bryant. You talked about you talked about Craig Kimbrell, uh, Chafin, as well as uh, Davies. Also, they, these guys are going to be gone. All right, you know, more my, more likely to move than others. There's a small possibility, I guess, you can move Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo, and uh, wouldn't be surprised if non rentals like even Wilson Contreras, even Kyle Hendricks, pop up in trade rumors. Also, so this is a team that's going to be in major transition. And uh, you talked about you know Craig Kimbrell. With all due respect to Kimball, right? His contract includes a $16 million club option for 2020. All right. Uh, you know, what are the chances that the that the club is going to exercise that option? Uh, pretty much zero. So, obviously, Bryant's the big name there. And uh, maybe the big – I mean, you're talking about a guy that's going to make an impact wherever he goes. If he does go to the Mets, which, by the way, is also a very good possibility, like you pointed out. If he does go to another team, the Brewers, whatever, you're talking about a guy with versatility, a guy that's big-time impact. And just about any contender can fit him into their lineup. That's why I was bringing up names like the Giants and and uh, maybe even the Dodgers and some others. So, yeah, look, it, trading Chris Bryant's not going to be easy for Dred, Jed Hoyer, and company to do. They're just not. I mean, but as you pointed out uh, when we started talking about this, the writing's on the wall in, in, in Chicago, and Chris Bryant is going to be wearing another uniform, and you know it's going to be for a contender probably. And, and yes, there are, I mean, these, these other teams, absolutely. When you take a look at the Mets, you take a look at, uh, you know, the Astros, some of these other teams are going to be absolutely looking to upgrade. Uh, even maybe the, look, even, let, let's go out, maybe the Angels, right? The Angels are hanging around, okay, this, the postseason race right now, Tim. And they can look forward to getting Mike Trout, Rendon, you know, joining Otani and Walsh and Fletcher and these guys in a lineup in just a few weeks. So, Look, we understand that the Angels' pitching is just awful, okay? And, they, you know, 
the most likely outcome is probably, you know, you're going to get, uh, uh, Manassian's probably going to, you know, do some buying and selling at the deadline. But you could also absolutely see the Angels trading for maybe a starting pitcher, you know, with long-term control of that guy, uh, whoever the pitcher may be. And, uh, and then they could also trade away like somebody like an Iglesias, right? You know, a, a rental closer, someone like that. So, um, if the Angels don't sign Heaney, you know they could they could cash in on him as a trade chip uh, would be justifiable also. So this is a, I mean the Angels are another team. I think that uh, you know given the fact you're getting back you know one of the best players in baseball and uh, another guy that's also really good, I think they could actually be uh, they could be a team that can be buyers instead of sellers when it comes to this trade deadline. Chris, I'm a big Angels fan. You know that, and <clears throat> I look mm-hmm. at hanging around they're just kind of hanging around they, they've won their um last couple series and you're right trouty's coming back rendon's coming back otani's just you know the home run today and, and they need pitching even though they've had some look you keep you they've had some decent starts sandoval today obviously or excuse me yesterday uh cobb has, has looked decent but they need an arm and, and you mentioned his name a little earlier and max scherzer being tied to the Yankees, possibly. I know the Mets again, another team. They've they've said that they they'd be interested in making a run at Maxi, who unbelievable start to the year. And I know he's he's regressed a little bit since then. But Chris, he's seven and four, two eight three year in run average, and he's averaging twelve Ks per nine innings pitched. The guy is obviously a he's a guy you add to the rotation to be a it changes the the view of playoff team to World Series contender. And will the Nats move them? The Nats swept by the Orioles this past weekend, so I think they've gone into tank mode as well. Scherzer could be on the move, and it's just a matter of what the best package is going to be for Scherzer. And remind you, he's he's uh, up in his 30s, so you know him well from from <laughs> your days with the Tigers. Scherzer will not be in Washington, I assume, come Friday night. Oh, and by the way, Tim, the Mets currently have six guys on, in their starting pitching staff on their staff. That are on the IR, okay? From Carrasco to DeGrom to Lucchese to Peterson to Syndergaard to Yamada, all these guys. They're all in the IR. So they're absolutely going to be in play for someone like a Max Scherzer. And, uh, and we, we make no mistake about it. Steve Cohen, the owner, is a guy who was very straightforward earlier this week. He said, look, we're going to make trades. We're going to pay a big price. and and you know, Or we're going to wait and get a closer at the deadline and pay a reasonable price because – the rationale is why pay two dollars today when you can pay the, when you can get the same thing for a dollar next week. Okay, now the counter to that, Tim, would be you know what games prior to the trade deadline they also matter too. Okay, and the sooner the Mets can upgrade their roster, the better chances they had to win the East. And so I mean games are important now too, just because you know just because we're going to the trade deadline doesn't mean they're not important. So look, the Mets are in first place; they're going to be a buyer. There's no really any doubt about that. And, uh, you know, th- by the way, the Mets could also use a kind of a shortstop capable infielder to kind of help out while Lindor's, you know, is is banged up a little bit with that oblique strain. And, uh, you know, you talked about, obviously, Chris Bryant, somebody like that. So they're going to be in the mix. And uh, But, yeah, I was, I was kind of blown away when I saw that. They, they've got six starting pitchers on the IR. That, uh, you know, for a team that's in first place, Normally you'd be hitting, you'd be smacking panic buttons all over the place, right, Tim? But uh, not with this New York Mets team. Another name we will throw out there, and Vegas ties, obviously Bishop Gorman High School, Joey Gallo. Trade rumors heating up now. He has another year under contract with Texas, so it's not a a hundred percent situation where they can move him by Friday. You can always do it next year if need be, but when you look at what the return could be, and, and I know Texas has thrown around the, the idea of extending him, so a Texas team that's youth rebuild, maybe keeps him, but at the same time, if a package comes along, he can be dealt. So when you see a Joey Gallo, Chris, you know he's, obviously he's got the power right from the left-handed side. Yankees could be thrown in there, Brewers could be thrown in there, the Giants again could be thrown in there. Do you, do you see Gallo possibly being moved? Or do you think that um, maybe he stays in Texas? I think there's absolutely a possibility he could be moved. I don't really know what the motivation would be for the Rangers because the Rangers right now are just absolutely atrocious. Okay? Yeah. Um, They are 
a no doubt seller, and they've got something for everyone. I mean, Joey Gallo is a premier. You're talking about a premier power hitter, you know, and he's under control through next season. Kyle Gibson has been out of this world, okay, g- good since opening day. You know, obviously his last start, notwithstanding, he was not good last start, but hey. Uh, and is and by the way, Kyle Gibson signed affordably also through 2022. You've got Ian Kennedy, uh, also who's a rental who could be in rental and would help out most bullpens. And we all know uh, how important you know guys out of the bullpen are when it comes to contending teams. You got you know got, you got Rodriguez over there, who's one of those ground ball pitchers that are tough to find. And uh, you know and look, Jordan Lyles always seems to be on the move of the deadline. This guy not afraid, always on the move of the deadline. So uh, even when he's having a bad year, like he is right now. So I don't think there's any question, Tim, that Texas could be one of those teams that's very active prior to the deadline on Friday. And uh, a lot of eyes are going to be on both Gallo and Gibson to possibly be heading out of Arlington and to going to actual contenders, whether it be in the American League or National League. Throw a couple more teams your way as we wrap it up here on a Sunday night. How about the Houston Astros, everybody's favorite cheaters, Chris? Quietly, (laughs) 61-39, and five-and-a-half game lead over Oakland in the West. Uh, They look good, and nobody wants to talk about it. Could Houston be pulling some strings behind the scene to make some playoff uh, additions to this roster? I mean, you talk about nobody wants to talk about them, Chris, but you need to. They're, they they can they can obviously hit, they can score, and the rotation is holding up, led by veteran Zach Greinke. This is a team, and you said it, it's hated, it's despised. <laughs> People are fired up. People are upset, but they're right there, Tim. They're one of the teams that's going to contend and could absolutely raise a World Series trophy come this October, maybe early November. They are an offensive powerhouse, okay? They have six starters for five spots when they're healthy, okay? Urquidy, I think, is currently on the injured list. He's got that shoulder issue, but, uh, you know, so those are two areas that the roster is pretty much set. But as you know, there's always room to get better, right, Tim? There's always room for improvement. And uh, neither offense nor the rotation figure to be a top deadline priority for Houston. But when it comes to James Click, the GM over there, he'll probably prioritize the guys in the bullpen to help get the ball to uh, to Presley, the closer. Uh, because that's I guess that's been an issue for this Astros team all year long is, you know, those middle innings between, you know, six, seven, eight, to get to Presley, that's that's one the, the one issue that the Astros have had. So, and we all know if that's what they need, you brought the name up earlier in this discussion, Craig Kimbrell, right? They're probably going to look at Craig Kimbrell, as well as probably Ian Kennedy, as well as Rodriguez, Richard Rodriguez, and uh, look, I, I really think that uh, if it comes down to it, if the Astros do make some moves here in the next few, three four days. It's going to end up being multiple bullpen arms prior to Friday. Yeah. One more team, Chris. Chicago White Sox comfortably ahead of Cleveland in their division. Nine games up. Playoff team, Tony La Russa, comeback story, right? What does Chicago do at the deadline if they do anything? Well, the White Sox, obviously, you know, we've seen what's been going on with the injury situation and, and you know, guys starting to come back and what, whether or not they've been able to uh, kind of maintain – what what we expected of them? They're they're one of the teams at the at the at the start of the season that that has projected to go to the World Series. You and Tommy talked about you know the odds of them going to the World Series and what that would mean uh, as far as uh, you know that perspective. I think they do make some moves. I think they do. They're uh, you know look they're playing in baseball's worst division. Certainly helps. You, you know you know I, look I get it. My Tigers have been decent here lately. Uh, but it is the worst division in baseball. Uh, and the White Sox are, you know, they've gotten credit for being the game's, one of the game's best teams despite losing so many key players to long-term injuries. You're talking about Amanda, you're talking about, you know, Robert, you're talking, you know, they, they have begun minor league rehab assignments, and they'll be back with the team well in advance of, of any postseason play, so that's good. Um, the bad news for the White Sox, though, is Madrigal's done for the season. And so that means you've got to need a second base. You know, even though uh, Garcia has played well recently, you still need somebody at second base. So I think, Tim, 
to be quite honest with you, that's the direction they're going to go. They're probably going to go for somebody to play there. Uh, there is room in the bullpen for another high-end reliever also. Uh, uh, but you know, I'm telling you, it's kind of tough to find those second basemen, right, atop the dead, at, the, at the deadline shopping list. So um, this is a team, I think, that, you know, outside of uh, maybe some bullpen help and help at second base, they're going to, as, as Tommy said yesterday, they're probably going to stand pat in a lot of areas because they feel like they have a team that absolutely can win a World Series come this fall. I agree 100%. Sometimes you just don't want to tinker with the chemistry you already have. And you guys got, you got a, a, a true ace in like Lance Lynn who, man, he was he was money tonight on Sunday Night Baseball and a 3-1 win for the Sox. They just extended him, by the way. A smart deal there for Chicago White Sox fans. They extended him two more years. So he's going to be there for, for the time being. I think you kind of just you go with what you got. You got pitchers like Lynn. And you got a closer like Liam Hendricks, you know, everything else that offense seems to be be doing well. I think that'll be a one quick, of the teams that a, does. A quick in. tidbit too, Tim. I was 13, 12, 13 years old when Tony LaRussa was sporting the White Sox gear as a manager the first time. I'm now 50 years old. How remarkable is that, that he is back there where he started after so many years? That's kind of crazy. Oh, he's a, he's a living legend. There's no doubt about that, Chris, a living legend. Chris, tell everybody what's up with Christian Wynn over on social media. I know you're going to be tuned in all week to not only the Olympics, you got the NBA draft, Major League Baseball trade deadline, and, of course, the NFL training camp. So it's, it's a fun time of the year as we'll throw college football in there too, right? That's, that's getting underway here in, in less than a month's time. So great time to be a sports fan. So great, Tim. We've got training camps opening up. We've got all the sports stuff going on. Yeah, you can find me at Christian Wynn on Twitter. You can also find me at Christian William Wynn. Also on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram at CWin77. Always love to chop it up with sports fans, talk sports. And uh, always a great joy to jump on with Tom Barton over at Tom Barton Sports, as well as you, Tim Oglesby. And uh, thanks to Demond as well, too. Great job over there. Always fun to be a part of the Heat Wave sports team. And Chris, definitely having you back for our NFL team previews coming up in a few short weeks. Always a pleasure, my friend. Have a great Sunday. For, the rest of your Sunday, I should say, everybody. And have a good week as well, too, Tim. Thank you, buddy. For Chris Wynn, for DeMond Cotton, Tim Unglesby, Chris said it. Have a great sports Sunday and sports week. We'll talk to you again next weekend. It's Heat Wave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 13, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.